This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello, my name's John Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. In this episode, I spoke with Raymond James CEO Paul Riley about the firm's £279 million deal to buy Charles Stanley. I caught up with Paul last week at a restaurant in London, where we also spoke about valuations in the UK wealth market. It's worth noting that this conversation was recorded before RBC's recent deal to buy Bruin Dolphin for £1.6 billion. To keep up to date with the latest episodes of this podcast, click the follow button on Spotify. So what are Raymond James' growth plans for the UK market? So, you know, we've been here a long time. We started in the wealth space with a joint venture with Killick and, uh, and um, ended up buying him out after, you know, 2009 as we went separate directions and have had great growth. I mean, a percentage base is very high growth, but we always wanted to have a bigger footprint. And the if you look at U.S. and Canada, we're... I don't know how you want it. You can measure assets, advisors. So we'll say we're six or seven in the U.S. In Canada, we've grown right to be right next to the smallest of the big banks. Uh, you know, we've continued to have long-end uh, growth. And part of our formula has been we've had all the affiliate, affiliation options. So we have employed, self-employed, and what we call here platform or RIA in the U.S., or they're all different terms, but where people are using our systems but are independent businesses. Uh, we really didn't have an employee business here in the U.K. We just started one, but we didn't have scale. So seven years ago, we were knocking on Charlie Stanley's, uh, Charles Stanley door, and I, my first meeting with Sir David Howard was seven years ago, uh, saying, you know, we think we'd be a good fit. And he agreed, but he goes, you know, we're not ready to do something like that, and I don't know if we will be. And over time, it finally became time where it made sense for him, and I think makes sense for both businesses. So now, with them, we'll so were be there able bid to... offers in in those seven years? It's you know, it's quite a long time for for a deal to come discussions. to fruition. Yeah, a lot of discussions, yeah. but not you know, uh, we didn't get to the point of formal offers. So, um, and the but you know but. A lot of long discussions, so and, and friendships and understanding that, yeah, we were more alike than different as businesses. And, and what was so attractive about Charles Stanley as a business? First, I think they share what I call a most a maniacal uh, focus on protecting clients, the end clients, and so are we. We're very conservative with what products we offer and making sure we take care of clients. Secondly, internally, they had a culture very much like ours where they're just they're nice to each other. You don't get ahead by just beating everybody up. You actually get ahead by working together. And we have exceptionally low turnover in our in the US and Canada. And you know, they've had long-term people there too and, and loyal people. So the inside culture on how we treat clients and how people treat each other. And I'll tell you, since we've 
close and I spent time in the offices, I'm shocked that, you know, already usually when you're doing these integrations, people are fighting and arguing. Here they're sitting, not Raymond James and Charles, they're sitting amongst each other laughing, you know, and, and solving problems. So I, I think we've made a, a really, really good choice. And, and could you go into a bit more depth about the integration? Are yeah. you going to change the brand of Charles Stanley? Sort of, could, could you Let me go through the one step. So yeah. in the platform, since they have both employee, employed and non-employed, self-employed, you know, we'll be able to have the full affiliation option range now combined, combined with our platform and uh, you know, uh, self-employed. We'll have employed and self-employed. So the, yeah. Most firms go ahead and try to cram things together, usually with the acquirer trying to say, here's what we do, we're giving you our systems. We're quite the opposite. We say, look, you've been around over 200 years and successful and have a great brand. You know, we haven't been around as long, but you know, we do some things pretty well. Let's spend the first year kind of mapping everything, our systems, our processes, our people, and make sure we make good decisions and that we take the best of both worlds and so when we're done, that the wealth managers and clients have a better experience than they had at either place alone. And we've done this now with acquisitions in both U.S. and Canada. The result is not only came out a better platform, we didn't lose people during the process, right? So we've been very methodical. Most firms want to show right away how they what a good deal it was. So they'll do things, they'll start laying off people. They'll say, well, our earnings are up. But they're all short-term decisions, and our view is we're a growth business. We don't want to lay people off because we think we're going to need more people. Let's figure out and do it right. Yeah, it may cost us a year. You're going to spend a year planning and then a year integrating. But when we come out, we're going to be a lot better off than when we started together. And does the brand stick? You mentioned, you know, Charles Stanley's a 200-year-old brand and, you're, and, and pretty, pretty strong in the UK. Do you think that's going to stick? I think it'll stick for the foreseeable future. I mean, as long as I could see. I mean, it's uh, Raymond James is known by wealth managers, but it's not a retail brand. I mean, you go around the UK. I say I'm with Raymond James. You go, oh, what do they do? And I go, oh, you know. And, Charles Stanley just, oh yeah, Charles, you know, they've heard of it. They may know what it is, they've heard of it. You, need, you know, how long does it take and how much do you spend to recreate that? So it, it's a valuable brand. It stands for the same things we stand for. So yeah, we plan to keep it. I think that, that's a fair enough point. What about- and We may keep both brands in different businesses. So in the platform business, yeah. you know, we may keep Raymond James because they don't have one. And the people that have joined us in that business identify with that, right? But. So, you know, so we may, we may use different brands for different parts of the business. So, but that's all in this first year, right? Let's figure out what's right and best for all those folks. Yep, that makes sense. What about other UK acquisitions on the horizon? Is there anything within the next 12 months that you're eyeing up? Not in the next 12 months. So, if you look at our history in the US and the UK and in Canada, the primary growth has been organic, it's been recruiting people to the platform. But we've done acquisitions in the US, Canada, and now here. The number one job is to make sure we get it right over this next you know, year and a half or so and get the platform done and right and more robust. So the worst thing we could do is throw in something else and try to do it at the same time. So we're not against acquisitions. Um, we want to make sure that if people are staying and people are joining us, that means it's a healthy environment. If people aren't staying or they're not joining us, we're not, we don't have it right. Uh, and then if we can augment that with acquisitions from firms that fit, 
when they become available, hopefully quicker than seven years if we look at something, but uh, you know, we'll do that. So we, our growth strategy when we strategically say we should be able to grow organically, and then when we have an opportunity to do acquisitions that make us better or give us scale or give us better reach, we'll do those too. And what are your views on valuations of listed wealth management companies at the moment? I mean, they're not cheap compared to I mean, global standards. I mean, Certainly over the pandemic, they, they weren't cheap. They were really sort of pumped up. Yeah. But they've perhaps fallen away a little bit, at least year to, year to day. I yeah. mean, you say they're not cheap, but have they become a bit more attractive more recently? You know, I'd say it, it's, you know, values in the eyes of the beholder, right? So uh, I would say that if you look back, when we look back seven years ago, they were trading higher than the U.S. firms, and that, which I never because even with the scale and reach and profitability differences didn't quite make sense. But there was also a rush in private equity, right? The buyers too, that I think inflated valuations. So they've come in, you know, we're, we're very, we're very long-term. So we, to do an acquisition, we have to say it has to have, it has to have a cultural fit or it just screws up everything you already created. Secondly, it's got to be a strategic reason for doing it because you do a lot of work, you better make you better. And then third, it has to be at the right price. And we really do it in that order. So, and the pricing comes in to say, okay, for what we can get out of it, is it a fair value? And uh, so those values relatively go up and down. So since we're not really in the market today, we're really trying to do what we're, you know, do what we have and make it right. I'm not, I haven't been as focused on it. But yeah, they've come in some, but I'm not. Yeah. Um, um, what do you, th obviously private equity has really kind of got into this market over the last couple of years. I mean, what are your views about sort of competing in that space? Um, in, you know, with, with these sort of almost private equity vultures that seem to be kind of overturning these wealth management businesses. Yeah, well, you know, most of them, invest to get out you know, we invest to stay in forever yeah. <laughs> so so we have very different planning horizons and certainly if you look at the last decade of very low interest rate costs and cheap capital you're going to be more aggressive and as capital gets more expensive and if rates rise and leverage rates get less they'll be less aggressive right you know so Certainly in the short term, I think even rates rising, they're still relatively cheap. There's a lot of cash. But over time, if rates still keep going up, inflation goes up, I think there'll be less of a factor in the market. With that capital being a bit more constrained, perhaps with interest rates, rates rising in the, in the private equity market, you know, does that make the valuations of wealth management firms a bit more sort of realistic and come off from this pedestal of being sort of pumped up a bit? Yeah, maybe. You know, I think there are, for the, you know, it depends if you're in a recessionary market when they sell or an up market. And, you know, one of the areas that our firms haven't earned, and we always made money from interest rate spreads. When rates were very low, we didn't make any money. So if rates rise, we'll make more money on interest. But I can't tell you what the stock valuation in the stock market will be where you make money on higher valuations. So it's a very dynamic business. It's, uh, yeah, my guess is when things get small and they're growing, you get a higher valuation, and as they start to flatten out and mature a little bit, the valuations drop relative to some, and you know, so 
we'll just have to see when that time comes. So, what about sort of off-market businesses? I mean, how do you approach them as, as, as a firm? We mostly we're sort of talking about the listed area at the moment, but you, you know. yeah, you know, most of the firms we've uh, we have done in our history have been I I call them private, not for sale, and staying around and approaching them till they are for sale. Yeah, and. Uh, Charles Stanley was public, right? But it was family controlled. You know, the Howards had a 40% stake, you know. So, uh, so it was something like that. But maybe it was the worst of both worlds. It was private and not for sale, but it was public, so we had to go through all the public anti takeover, you know. So, um, but it was worth it. Um, and the deal, so, the deal itself took quite a, took quite a while. Didn't it? It was, it, yeah, you had to go through all the approvals and process, and then yeah. shareholders' approvals and court hearings. I mean, yeah. if you look at acquiring a company in the UK, it's public. It's there are a lot more hurdles than there are in most other markets for, right. for the size. Yeah. yeah. So. But, but sort of going back to the kind of private, you say sort of private and not for sale. Do you, do you think that extends across the market in the UK for wealth funds? Well. I think what you hope for, especially you know the private, a lot of the private equity owns, they're private, not for sale until they're for sale, right? And we're very good. One of the great firms we acquired in Canada's firm called Three Max, McDougal, McDougal, McTeer, two hundred and some year old, two hundred and seventy, I forget, but it was fifth generation management and family owned. And my first call on them was in '09, and at two. 2016, they joined us because they felt that they didn't have the capital to compete in the technology, and they were private, not for sale till they were. So you just, you know, you just almost like this. You give the value proposition. You become friends. They get to know you. You get to know, and you, you hang around. And then when they are for sale, you hope you're the first call or only call, ideally, but at least the first call. And uh, so you don't give up. So the ones that are private are not for sale. You have to assume that's not forever. You just start saying, you know, we're really interested. We think this will work. And sometimes they agree and the valuation's not right. Or sometimes they agree, but the timing's not right and they will later. Or sometimes they never agree. But, you know, you just... So we're pretty good about reaching out. And we're a friendly competitor. You know, we're a competitive business, but we don't think you have to try to beat up or trash people to get ahead. So we, we stay around and we... As an industry, work together so you get to know each other that way, you know, on regulatory and other issues. I wanted to hark back to your entrance into the, into the UK sort of with, with, with Charles Stanley. Um, you know, what's your kind of view of, of the UK wealth market in, in general? Obviously, we're kind of a, a few years, well, out of Brexit and, and sort of there's a little bit of political tension in the UK. But cost of living crisis, you know, as as a an international investor into the UK, do, do these kind of dynamics concern you at all? Well, if you may have noticed in the U.S., there's a little political tension. There's a little uh, inflation yes. on wages, you know, higher inflation, right? You know, maybe even a worse distribution of wealth. I mean, so it's it's not different than any of the other developed economies. I mean, we all have it more or less. Um, but, you know, we've done well in Canada. UK is a much bigger market. It's an older market. I mean, a more mature market. It's larger. Um, it's a market that's always, maybe more than any other market I've been in, is appreciated professional services. I mean, it's, I used to kid, that's the only place where they 
thought accountants were good people, you know, maybe until lately, I don't know, but, uh, and lawyers, all the professions are always elevated in London. So I think it's, from a professional services place, it's a very good market. I look at the wealth market as being very fragmented. I think historic regulation has impacted a little bit. If you look at the evolution, you know, in, in sense of service delivery in Canada and the U.S. is probably ahead in that you have, you know, uh, financial planning with a different license and investing, and then you got all these little different niches. They're integrated, right? So it's hard to get any client unless financial planning and investing is integrated. Now, I may pick stocks or I may give them to funds, but if you're not doing my planning, what are you doing for me? And it's been a little, it's been bifurcated here. And I think despite licensing or if you have different people, that holistic planning is going to happen. And so I see an opportunity just given... So you think the market's a little bit confused in a, in a sense? Yeah, it's a little more bifurcated. I think everyone likes solutions, right? Yes. You know, holistic solutions. It makes their life simpler. And, uh, and what we have found in the U.S. and Canada, and really here too when it comes to planning, is there's very little fee pressure under that. When you have a client who feels like you're helping to plan them and their families' lives and you're taking care of them, you're watching them, and you're watching their investments and how that achieves their family goals, and they're all different, right, with kids and family and how you pass wealth. It's not even wealth, though. People with the same wealth have different views on who should get what. And, um, they become an invaluable part, and they're willing. Those fees have been under them. There's no pressure in the U.S. and Canada. The fees for just one part of our investing have been under pressure, or certainly on trading. You know, have been to zero in some yes. you know, place. So, so if you're in that planning stage, not only are clients stickier, they're willing to reward you more by saying you're doing a good job. I'll pay you, and I think that's going to happen. Do some of those mass affluent products become a bit more attractive to you? You sort of mentioned Robinhood there yeah. and, and kind of what we've been mentioning some, you know, the likes of Nutmeg and obviously yeah. JP Morgan got, got, got involved there. You know, as, as a business, do, do those kind of robo-advisors sort of mass affluent products become attractive to you in your kind of acquisition? Okay. No, I don't think so. I think that what I said when robos came out is that I don't think robos were a threat to our industry, just like, I'll take it to self-directed E-Trade, Scott Trade, Amer oh, they were going to take, well, they took a percentage of the market. And until the market got really volatile, they really had done nothing for a long time, right? And it's just because there was a limited market without advice. And the only firms that really, you know, Fidel, Schwab did a great job of saying, okay, we got this automated thing, what do we do? So they build out their, their platform, which is the RA platform, you know, so they could marry the technology and the advice. Very hard to get advice done electronically today. You know, so um, I've always felt though the technology of interacting, like we can have people self-trade at Raymond James in the US, we just don't turn it on very often, right? As those platforms, as we're expanding those now, the interaction between the advisor, the client, the be able to look at their portfolios, do some things on their own, self-administer, but still have that oversight and advice is where we're kind of developing our platforms. It isn't just stick money in and do whatever you want because we don't add value there, right? You know, so, so I think the technology is very important and we're developing those now. 
but it isn't to really compete with a Robin Hood or a Nutmeg. It's uh, even Charlie Stan Stanley Direct. It's more still larger amounts of money where people we can give them limited advice and as they grow in hopefully someday become full. I mean is that is that not much of a focus then growth, growth of Charles Stanley Direct then? Well it, it, it is you know frankly we haven't ever had one we're just in and we're yeah. learning and we're watching they does some things very very well and so the question is uh, I would say it's underfunded versus some others in terms of market recognition and some of the technology funding so part of this integration right now is looking and really understanding is the technology robust enough to be 10 times as big or do you have to rewrite it or do you so there's a lot of learning we're still doing right now but we think it's they've done a really amazing job for what they had to work with and the money they had so now the question is where do we take it from here and that's our assessment part together I mean the UK the RJ leadership and the Charles Stanley leadership together this CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.